630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Yeah, Chris Tanev scored from his own blue line on Connor Hellebuck. Long flip shot down the ice, bounced past Hellebuck. That got Calgary on the board. Now about eight minutes into the second period, Winnipeg still leading that game 2-1. Kyle Connor, both goals for the Jets. The Canadians taking it to Vancouver. It is 6-1 with 14 minutes left in the third. Petrie has two to get up to four for the season. Toffoli with his seventh. Five minutes into the third, Lightning leading the Predators 4-1. Also early in the third, Washington up 3-1 on Boston. Penguins and Rangers now in a 1-1 tie as does Kevin Rooney getting his second of the season for New York to pull them even. Oilers, Senators tomorrow, 6 o'clock face-off show here on 6.30. Chad, the game will start at 8. And, of course, don't forget Bob Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2. I have unearthed the answer to a long-standing mystery as I welcome my good friend A.J. Jakubik to the show play-by-play voice for the ottawa red blacks and knows everything you need to know about the ottawa sports scene aj it turns out stands for awesome gentleman aj welcome back to the show how are you doing i'm outstanding you know what made my day read your tweet about that game you attended in 1981 with that fantastic you know what we, we saw those reverse retro jerseys from the wild and other teams i thought the oilers looked pretty good as well I have some friends that are on the fence. Some like them, some don't, but whatever. I like them. Uh, I love the Minnesota ones because I love the old school Minnesota North Star uniforms. And you, just just the fact that you threw out that little tidbit about the 5-4 game that you attended in 1981 at Northlands Coliseum, just imagining those green and gold uniforms made me happy. I, I, I'm, I'm a guy that's pretty easy to please, as, as you can obviously see. <laughs> Well, I, I'm glad you took joy in that. I, I'm pleasantly surprised to hear that. And yeah, during the first intermission, it was 5-3, and Rob and I are talking about what an incredible game it was. And I said to Rob I, that, that I think this is the second Oilers game I've now been to in my life that was 5-3 after the first period. But like I said, I, I was wrong. That's why I rephrased it in the tweet. It was actually 5-4 after the Oilers uh, after the first period between the Oilers and Minnesota, and then 6-6 six, six after two periods, and then the Oilers won the game, <laughs> won the game 9-6. We fell a couple goals short of that last night. Let's start there. The A lot of the thought about the Senators, from people I had on this show, some of the things I thought, was that they'd probably finish last, but they wouldn't be a complete punching bag. Unfortunately, they, they kind of are a punching bag this early in the season. And I know it's still early, and maybe they're going to rise up and win tomorrow, but how has it gone so wrong for the Senators this early? Yeah, I, I just think the biggest thing is you look at the lineup. You look at what was promised. You look at what's in the organization. You look at who's not even on the taxi squad here. And, and I, I just question, look, I get it. You, you, you can't just run an under-23 team and say, all right, boys, go out there and learn what the NHL is all about. You need some veterans uh, to, to surround those young guys, to teach those guys what it means to be a professional. But the reality is like, the guys doing the so-called teaching uh, aren't, aren't playing very well. And, you know, there's a lot of guys. If, if, it's not one move in particular that's problematic. It's the fact that they brought in 10 guys. They brought in 10 guys in the offseason that have played games. They're all 26-plus. 
And the only one I, I, you can make, I think Austin Watson's been as advertised. He's got four points in nine games. He's, he's been physical. He's been hard to play against. So there's that. Good Branson. Uh, I, I mean, the whole defense has really struggled. I mean, that, that might have been the worst defense. There's people, like, I haven't covered this team since day one, as you know, because I grew up in Edmonton and moved here in 2003. There's teams, I worked with Chris Stevenson today. So he's been covering this team since day one, since 92-93, when they won 10 games. And, and he thinks that's the worst defense they've ever iced yesterday. And, look, Thomas Shabbat is hurt, and Christian Lannan was hurt, so that doesn't help. But, you know, at least the 92-93 team had Norm McIver and Brad Shaw. I know Brad Marsh was on that team and made the All-Star game, if you remember, but... Um, you know, th- this defense, the, the the one that they asked ice last, ice last night, wasn't good enough. They, okay, I get it. You want to add some sandpaper on the blue line, go out and get Branson. Why did you need to go out and get Branson, Josh Brown, and Braden Coburn? It makes no sense. Meantime, you've got some players that are on the taxi squad, aren't even on the taxi squad. And not like, like Ridley Gregg, Lassie Thompson, they're first-round picks. I get it. You know, Ridley Gregg, if, if there was a WHL season right now, he'd be playing in Brandon's. Uh, Lassie Thompson, like he was playing games in Finland this year. It's his first year pro in North America. So there's two first-round picks. I'm not saying throw them to the Wolves and just throw everybody in there. But you've got guys like Logan Brown, like Eric Brandstrom, uh, like Alex Formanton. These are players that are 21 to 23 years old, high pedigree, a couple of first-round picks and a second in there. Um, they, they moved up to get Logan Brown. Uh, they, they traded Mark Stone. Um, you know, to get Eric Brandstrom. Uh, and, and so why are these guys not even on the taxi squad? Like, they're basically hanging out. Bob Stoffer knows. Like, the, the NHL media guys hate coming to Ottawa. The CFL media guys, I, I, you know, ask Dave and Morley. They, they love coming into Ottawa because you, you, basically the NHL media guys, they, they, they go out to the Brook Street Hotel. Nice hotel, but it's in the middle of nowhere. You come in the middle of winter, you look out the window, there's nothing there. And, and so that, that's what these guys that are in the AHL right now are doing. They're going to the rink once a day, and then they go back into the hotel and they're looking out the window. Like, it's just, it, it, it's not ideal development. If these guys were playing in the AHL, you'd say, fine, good. Logan Brown's a point a game in Belleville. Uh, Eric Branson's playing 25 minutes a night in Belleville. But meantime, they're playing guys like Michael Haley from the, the taxi squad and you're like what are they doing so it's just fans here are willing to to be patient uh like any canadian market right the the temperature can be turned up and we've seen it turned up already uh you know to to high heat in vancouver edmonton and and ottawa so far now ottawa's kind of helped the cause in two of those cities or at least it might a little bit more if if uh you know edmonton beats them again tomorrow night but you know the fans here are willing to be patient but they want to see the young guys. and They don't want to see their development blocked by, you know, the, the Paquettes and the Browns and, and the Coburns and the Haleys and, and, you know, those types of players of the world. So it's, it's not good. It's exasperated by the fact that they can't get a save. Um, again, everything, there, there's some promise here. Like, it's not like all of a sudden, well, the sky is completely falling and it's never going to be turned around. They do have some really good pieces for the future, both here uh, and, and, you know, like North Dakota, there's four of them. Uh, so, so there's some, some good pieces here. This can be turned around. This is not the end of the world. But I, I just question what's going on in terms of the direction of what they're doing this year. And they're getting their rear ends handed to them every single night. And that, 
that to me is more problematic than a bunch of young guys that are going out and competing each and every night and, and at least winning some games. AJ Jakubik joining us on Inside Sports from TSN 1200 in Ottawa, talking a little bit there about the plight of the Senators. Of course, you're the play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Jamie Elizondo, who used to be with the Red, ba- Red Blacks, is now the double E football team head coach. Who are we getting? Tell us about this gentleman. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm happy for Jamie. I, I like Jamie a lot. Uh, all my dealings with him have been positive uh, on, a, on a personal level, so just happy for him uh, in, in that uh, standpoint, from that standpoint, I, I think the, the question in terms of what you're getting as a head coach, like in the end, you need to see him as a head coach, right? I mean, there have been a lot of great coordinators that haven't turned into great coaches, and there have been some that, that have. So in the end, we need to see what he does as a head coach. I can tell you what he brings as an offensive coordinator. He's a guy that's, uh, you know, very organized, certainly communicates well, uh, you know, has a great relationship with Trevor Harris. You know, hard to hard to argue about the schemes. You know, there there's always going to be right. The offensive coordinator is always under the gun when things aren't running smoothing smoothly in football. And, and there were times, that, you know, in particular in 2017, he was here three years, 2016, 17, and 18. They won a Great Cup in 16. They went back to the Great Cup and lost in Edmonton to the Sam Peters in 18. So in 17, there there are times where he he was under the gun for sure. And and there were you know, clashes even within the, the coaching staff. I, I think it's pretty well known that, you know, Brian Chu and Travis Moore um, kind of didn't want to hang around if, if Jamie was going to continue uh, as the offensive coordinator. Now, that, that's class of styles, right? You bring in your own staff and, and you get what you want from them. And, and I think, uh, you know, that, that can work out. So, again, I, I think he's a guy that, you know, uh, you know, just because that happened doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Uh, so, I... I I, I'm curious to see how it's going to play out, but the, you know, the familiarity that he has with Trevor Harris, I, I think, you know, not unlike what we're seeing here with Matt Nichols and Nick Arbuckle, right? I mean, Arbuckle's going to Toronto. He worked with Ryan Dinwiddie and Nichols has come to Ottawa. He worked with Paul Apolis in Winnipeg. Uh, so, you know, just to have that familiarity in, in a season where, okay, we'd love, we'd love to say that it's going to be May training camp and, and preseason games, and then here we go in June, right? But the reality is we don't know. And, and this could be one of those, it could be an 18-game season. It could be a shortened season. There could be no preseason games. There could be no no training camp or a very limited training camp. I mean, you're going to have some sort of camp, obviously, but, you know, maybe, maybe there's no preseason, right? And so in that instance, the, the teams that have familiarity, you know, with, with one another and, and certainly with the coaching staff, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I think are going to be a leg up. So, um, you know, that that's probably a little bit of what happened with, with Arbuckle and, and Nichols. And, and certainly just to have that in Edmonton uh, is a real bonus going into the season. All right. Well, I appreciate that update. Uh, going to be exciting to see him coach, and we'll see if the Senators can bounce back tomorrow. You know, my colleague Rob Brown says you got to be a little wary of a, of a team that's lost several in a row because they are going to win eventually. Maybe that comes tomorrow night. Thanks for Party. checking in, AJ. And uh, I, 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 yeah, really appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> Any anytime. Take care. That is AJ Jakubik, uh, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Red Blacks, and covers the Senators as well. So uh, some pretty good thoughts, I, I thought, there on both uh, Elizondo and on the uh, Senators team, which has been 
extremely underwhelming to this point of the season. It is 7-17. It is still 2-0. Winnipeg leading Calgary, about five and a half minutes left in the second period. Happy to hear from you at 780-496-0063. little more from Oilers practice today when we get back. Hey, Super Bowl's coming up on Sunday. We'll have to do our guaranteed-to-be-correct predictions later on in the week. We'll have some Super Bowl football chat on the show, of course, as we continue to move along. The Edmonton Oilers had a uh, optional practice today, so about half the team was on the ice. Mike Smith practiced. He and Miko Koskinen were the primary goaltenders. Troy Grostick was also on the ice. Alex Chason has been placed on waivers a little bit more. Uh, on him as we move along tonight. Gaetan Haas made his season debut last night and looked pretty good in the role of fourth-line center. Looked quick, looked like he was helping to kill penalties. Here's what Dave Tippett had to say today. Yeah, he was he was really solid, really uh, pleased with where he was at. He looked like he had good energy. His, I mean, he's a, he's a smart player, quick player, and, uh, you know, he came in and I uh, thought he played a solid game for us, really solid. Yeah, I think he looks more comfortable this year. He looks he looks a lot more confident in what he's doing, so I think that will lead to some more offensive chances. You know, we had him uh, on the penalty kill last night with Archibald. I thought he did a really good job there, so he'll continue in that role a little bit, but I think there is some upside on the on the puck side for him and uh, the growing confidence. I think you'll see see more of that. Look good. Look good. Uh, I wonder if tomorrow they go with 11 forwards and 7D. I, I think Haas would stay in, obviously. I think Archibald would stay in. I, you know, Chason has been put in waivers. If he's not claimed, you can put him on the taxi squad and you could activate Evan Bouchard. I mean, there are other players you could put on the taxi squad too, I suppose, but uh, you could activate Bouchard and uh, play with 7D. Now, Ethan Baird didn't skate today. Don't expect him to play tomorrow. Maybe Caleb Jones is going to come out, and Slater Cuckoo will slide into the lineup. That, that's what I would expect, is that uh, Bouchard and Cuckoo would come in, and Jones and Chason would come out, if you look at the lineup relative to last night's game. And I guess I should also mention, I would think Troy Grosnick will be the backup goaltender, and Miko Koskinen will get the start. As for Chason on waivers, here's what Tippett had to say about that. First of all, with Chase, that was that's strictly a, uh, a way to that we have to use our taxi squad to maneuver some things around. And uh, Chase was, you know, he was really good player in the game last night. But you, we just have to have flexibility in our lineup with with eight defensemen on our on our current roster. It just gives us flexibility in there, and that flexibility is something that will help Bouchard get off the taxi because we've had some situations where we can't get him on our roster. All right, so we'll see how that plays out. Morning skate tomorrow. We'll keep you updated. Bob Stoffer will have Oilers now from noon tomorrow. Drysdale and McDavid, I mentioned the second and third stars of the week in the NHL. They're just clicking at an incredible pace. Here's the points leaders in the NHL. Connor McDavid is number one with 22 points in 11 games. Drysdale is number two with 21 points in 11 games. The next leading scorers in the NHL are Nathan McKinnon and Mitch Marner. They've each played 10 games. They have 14 points. So a seven-point cushion for Dreisaitl, eight points for McDavid. Both prolific last night. McDavid scored a goal of the year candidate uh, on Saturday. Uh, McDavid, two points per game. Dreisaitl, 1.91. 
So Tippett was asked, <laughs> in a 56-game season, could these guys hit 100 points? The games are going to get tighter. The, the, you know, you're a short schedule. Games are going to get tight. You're, I mean, you get you get a game like that that's kind of a, you know, we got some bounces early and got up in a game, so you you start thinking like that. But think about how the games are going to go the last 30 or 40 games here is going to get tight and every game is going to be like a playoff game. So people running around and scoring a bunch of points in the game is probably not going to be the norm. So, so when you they're, 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 they're great players. They're, they're phenomenal players. I hope they do it. But I would say that uh, I would tend to think that the games will tighten up a little bit. I would tend to agree with Dave Tippett. <laughs> but, but I guess it's fun to be talking about still 11 games into the year. Uh, I, I think they'll have some explosive games. But I think getting to five, six points again, probably pretty unlikely. Sure, they'll have some nights with three or four. They might have a few nights with zero or one. They're going to be the target of uh, of any team trying to check them. You know, again, if the power play keeps up, which I think it can, that's going to help their production. But to get to 156 games, that would be pretty incredible. Another thing to remember here, talking about these two players, let's give them credit. Dreisaitl is 57.8 in faceoffs. And McDavid, who hasn't been a great faceoff player in his career, he is at 53.2%. So both of them doing pretty well in the faceoff dot. Nice moment last night. The Edmonton native, Stuart Skinner, got a start in an NHL game for the first time, got the win. 33 saves on 38 shots and uh, a pretty nice moment on overtime open line. Stuart Skinner called in to talk to Rob and I, and uh, I asked him how he was feeling and processing getting that first win. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, it's uh, definitely an amazing feeling being able to get my first win in the NHL, and it's a dream come true, right? So, um, you know, I'm really happy with the result, uh, obviously, and it was, uh, it was a really cool night, uh, and I had a lot of fun. What was your day like? Was were there nerves? Were you excited? Did you want to get the game to start? Could you sleep? Like how 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 were the feelings throughout the day, knowing that this was going to be your first NHL start? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, there's definitely some nerves, a uh, little bit of overwhelmness, and you kind of just try to try to uh, you know put that in the back of your head and try to you know just stay focused on what you can uh, what you can control and um, just try to try to have it as you know any other day any other game day um obviously uh in the back of your mind you're you know you're playing your first nhl game so there's definitely those nerves but um no it was uh it was a fun day it was a really cool experience and uh you know i'm happy to enjoy this one well we noticed up here that you seem to be more comfortable coming out in the second period would you say that's true after the first period you got to see what the the speed was like the shots the being part of a game for the first time in a year and then coming out in the second you're like okay now i got this yeah yeah definitely um you know in the first period you kind of have that uh, that nervousness that adrenaline kind of going after i took a couple deep breaths um you know going into the second i felt you know a lot better um you know getting the in the first period of the year, so. um yeah, no, you're definitely right. Um, going to the second, felt my legs kind of get under me a bit and kind of relaxed, took a couple deep breaths, and, um, you know, just tried to play my game. Stuart Skinner joining us live on Overtime Open Line. He leads the Oilers to an 8-5 win over the Senators. Miko made sure to spend some time with you, it looked like, during the group celebration at the end of the game. Any Anything special said or done by Miko that you'd want to share with us? 
Oh, he was just uh, really happy for me. G- gave me a big hug and uh, just told me congratulations and uh, how proud he is of me and how happy he is for me. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. Um, you know, obviously I look up to Miko and Smitty and uh, look up to all the guys in the dressing room. So um, being able to get uh, being able to get all those uh, all those cheers and all those hugs after the game it uh, meant a lot to me. So I don't know if you have yet or not, but who gets the first phone call from me tonight? Uh, first phone call uh, from me is probably my parents. I would imagine <laughs> I'll probably call my uh, my mom and my dad. Um, kind of just uh, you know talk about the the big day and uh, how special it was. Well, it's too bad they couldn't be here, but I know they and your whole family were watching. Stuart, I'm also curious about the last two and a half or three weeks because, you know, Rob and I were talking before you came on. Koskinen was here. Smith was here. Forsberg were he- was here. And you were expected to get a lot of time with, uh, with the Condors this season. So with Smith going down, Forsberg getting claimed, and then you're the backup, and then you're off the roster for yesterday. I mean, how have you approached sort of all this uncertainty Certainty and the the constant changing of plans. Yeah, I definitely uh, definitely learned a lot about um, you know just trying to take it a, every day at a time. Um, you know, you kind of have to become become adaptable in whatever situation you get thrown in. So uh, I definitely learned that pretty quick, uh, especially in the last few weeks. You know, every day is different, every day changes, uh, whether that's roster moves or you know anything like that. So um, yeah, you definitely uh, you just got to always be, be on your toes and be ready for anything and. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, very grateful. Okay. Well, we're really thankful that you called in, Stuart. Again, congratulations. Huge moment for you. Great win for the team. Appreciate your time. Enjoy it. Yeah, thank you so much. That was awesome. Stuart Skinner joining Rob and I on overtime open line last night after Edmonton's 8-5 win over Ottawa. Those two teams will do it again tomorrow. I expect Miko Koskinen to start in goal. Oh, did you see Patrick Reed on the weekend? Is he the shadiest guy in golf or what? He won the tournament. He's very good, but an issue with a uh, embedded ball on Saturday that actually wasn't an embedded ball, and he's being criticized heavily for how he's handled it. So let's see what's going on here. We're going to have Dunk Mills on next. He's a referee with the Alberta Golf Association. How bad was what Reed did? What should have he done differently? I want to find out. Stick around for that. All right, Cassian and the Oilers will take on the Senators tomorrow. The face-off show is at 6. The game will start at 8, late one at Rogers Place. Here's what's going on in the NHL tonight. The Canadians have won again. They're 6-1-2. The Canucks are now 6-6. Six six. Montreal winning that one 6-2. After 2 in Winnipeg, Jets up 2-1 on the Flames. Not a lot of shots in that game. 14-13 for Winnipeg. Rangers knock off the Penguins 3-1. The Lightning win at home 5-2 over the Predators. Yanni Gord with two goals in that game. And late in the third, Boston, thanks to three goals in the third period, now leading the Capitals 4-3. About 90 seconds left. The Capitals have pulled their goalie and will try to tie it up. Oh, Boston just scored into the empty net. So 5-3 for Boston. So it looks like the Capitals will lose in regulation for the first time this season. They came in at 6-0-3. Okay. Well, uh, Patrick Reed, he is a good golfer. Some people believe he is not a good human being. And there's some evidence for that going back to his career in the NCAA and some very infamous moments on the PGA Tour, another of which occurred on Saturday 
when he apparently possibly did some shady things while declaring that his ball had been embedded uh, when replays showed that it clearly bounced and wasn't embedded. Anyway, I, I want to get somebody who really knows about the rules of golf because there's a lot of etiquette in golf. There's some things that are actual rules. There are some things that maybe aren't rules, but it's how you should behave. So to discuss, I have Dunk Mills on the line, who's a referee with the Alberta Golf Association. Dunk, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, Reed. Thanks for having me. I want to thank you for getting the Oilers to move their game to tomorrow night so we could have this chat tonight. Yes, there we go. Perfect timing. Perfect timing indeed. I, I'm glad to have you on the show because I, I've been reading and, and listening and watching some Golf Channel videos on this, and I've kind of seen the consensus, and, and maybe I'm not reading the most informed stuff, but it seems to me Patrick Reed didn't blatantly break the rules, but he didn't really behave properly either. Um, you know the rules as well as anybody. Uh, should have he done what what he did in that sequence, or how did you see it? Well, first of all, Reed, thanks for the flattering comment. I, I would like to think I'm pretty knowledgeable in the rules. I've got some of my other fellow Alberta golf officials, referees, that are listening in tonight, so I'd better not say anything <laughs> wrong. And these guys and uh, know the rules every bit as well as I do, or more so, but... Uh, I want to should make it clear though that you know like golf's a different sort of a sport, right? I mean, you don't just throw the pucks over the board at uh, Rogers and tell the boys to go play. I mean, they've got officials; they don't referee their own right. games. <laughs> uh, baseballs, they don't you know call your own balls and strikes kind of thing and whatnot. They have umpires and stuff, but golf is largely self-officiated. I mean, there's referees out on the course. It's the major league. It's the PGA Tour, and there's they're out there to help the players if need be and, and make rulings and stuff. But there are lots of things that happen during the course of a tournament and a game of golf that from junior golf right on up to the PGA Tour that the players call, call the penalties on themselves. Certainly there's lots of times that you need a referee to come in and help and sort things out. I mean, the rule book's pretty thick and it's complicated. It's less complicated now than it maybe used to be. They've simplified the rules a little bit in a couple of years ago, but uh, there's a big difference between breaking a rule and cheating. And this is, I think, in my opinion, a little bit where it's got off the rails here the last 24 hours with, or 48 hours with Reed's situation. Now, having said that, he's got some baggage that comes with him. There's all these allegations of what happened at Georgia and at Augusta State and, you know, as a professional, his thing in Dubai and all that sort of stuff. And he's lived a little bit on the edge when it comes to attitude you know complaining about his pairings at the Ryder cup and all of that sort of stuff that doesn't all yeah. of that doesn't necessarily make him a cheater with the you know where he's out there deliberately breaking rules to gain an advantage that's different i mean there's you know people hit it out of bounds it's stroke and distance they reload away they go hit it in a penalty area you drop the ball it's a one stroke penalty away you go sort of thing those are breaking rules but when you deliberately lie to your scorer or somebody and tell them that you made a five when you really made a six, that's different. That's a different kettle of fish. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this, because he hits the shot into the rough, and, and the replays showed that it bounced. 
Yeah, you know, he he said it didn't bounce. Why would he yards away? He can't see that. But why would he even think it was embedded to begin with? I I mean, when I hit a ball into the rough, I think, okay, it's going to be down in the grass. I'm not going to feel around in case it's one centimeter into the like. Why why would he even think that it's something he should investigate? They'd had a lot of rain the previous two days. They'd had they played left clean in place preferred lines right from the start of the tournament on Thursday because they were expecting inclement weather and they got a lot of rain on Friday. So it was soft out there. If he hit the okay. ball in, into the closely mowing, if he did it out in the fairway, we wouldn't be having this discussion because even if it did embed, he's entitled to preferred lies and away he goes. But in the non-closely mown area, like in the rough, he's got to find it first of all. I mean, they had U.S. Open style rough there because as you know, they're playing the U.S. Open there in June. So they're trying to get the course in as close a condition as they can in January so that they get a good field of players that want to come to Torrey Pines to get to play Torrey Pines in U.S. Open conditions. So, you know, it's soft. I mean, I I wasn't over there standing in the rough, but it looked fairly soft and whatnot. The whole thing about this thing with Reed, first of all, if his name was Patrick Smith, we probably wouldn't be having this discussion. But he's Patrick Reed. And he's in the last group on Saturday. He's on a PJ Tour event. The cameras are rolling. Of course, he's going to be under scrutiny. They're showing all of his shots. He's leading the tournament. Of course, they're going to be showing what he's doing. Why he put his hand on that ball in the rough and lifted it is a mystery to me. He, now, having said that, in amateur golf, and if you don't have too many officials around and stuff, or any on a golf course, you have to officiate it yourself and figure out what's going on. I, his biggest mistake, in my opinion, was going ahead and taking the matters into his own hands and start prodding around and stuff. Because now once the ball is gone, lifted, it's pretty hard for the official to really determine exactly where it was, what the situation was, was the ball embedded, wasn't it embedded, and given the circum, given. What happened? He technically was not in violation of the rules. Would I have done it that same way? Probably not. I'd have called right. an official. And these guys call <laughs> officials for cart pass rulings and balls in a water hazard half the time. I mean, not all the time. Rom hit it into the water there on 18 in the last round on Sunday, and he knew what to do. He didn't call an official over to tell, ask him where to drop. He knew where to drop. You know, he's self-officiating, right? Reed's situation was a little more complicated. So, I mean, and we, we both kind of referenced it at the start. I mean, his reputation, though, is is not good. I mean, and you had uh, former players who are commentators criticizing him. You had current players criticizing him. And now you just feel like everybody's watching him like a hawk and now now i feel like he could do something that maybe isn't a violation and it's still going to get criticized because of his reputation well let me ask you Reed, in hockey is it any different for how the board of player safety treats a two or three time offender for a head hit than somebody who's never done it before no it isn't no it isn't at all but again the difference is that you're self-officiating yeah that's an analogy i could draw that would sort of kind of be a parallel sort of thing he's got a rep and of course He's maybe not going to get the benefit. You know, as you know, I look after the McLennan Ross Junior Tour here in Alberta, and I see a lot of these kids for several years in a row. 
And there's been lots of times in the last 25 years that I've been doing tournaments that I've been pretty suspicious about something that happened. But I learned a long time ago, too, that the golf ball bounces in funny ways sometimes out there. And unless you catch a player absolutely dead red-handed doing something wrong with intent to cheat, it's really hard to put a label of cheater on a player because it sticks to them like white on rice. Just look at Vijay Singh. You know, I'm not telling tales out of school. I mean, he got caught red-handed when he was in his 20s in in a minor event on the Asian Tour with literally with an eraser on a scorecard. Yeah, And it's lived with him. He's, what, 57, 58 years old now? And there's still players that don't particularly care for VJ. He's outlived it. This is 35, 30 years ago. But he's got that stigma. So when you've got a player that, you know, when he's breaking a rule, when he's doing something, then it's sometimes pretty hard to absolutely prove the intent. Was he trying to gain a, a significant advantage over the fellow competitors? It's hard to do sometimes, even though you might, Ninety percent sure isn't good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. A couple more for you, and I'm going to ask you about the McLennan Ross Jr. Tour because that's awesome. You're yeah. involved with that. What is the what What is the most misunderstood rule in golf? And I mean, look, guys like me that go out. I mean, I'm if if I have an awesome day, I'm going to shoot ninety. Usually, I'm ninety five or over. So if I misunderstand a rule and give myself a 98 instead of a 99 or a 97 like nobody cares right like well, it's just my own my own handicap what but what's what's a misunderstood rule that even the day-to-day high handicapper should know better well i think part of you know obviously the one that probably gets broken more than anything else and i do it myself with the casual games that i play with with my buddies out of the legends putting out you know right oh, that's, good. <laughs> that's a up, good point you know? That's good. Three feet. That's good. Pick it up. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, pretty soon you have to tell these guys sometimes, you know, like if you start conceding a little bit further, you'd have two on this so far five. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So that's one that's probably broken more. But they, we're out there to have fun and nobody's going to sweat it if you don't tap in a six inch or something like that. Oh, which one's most misunderstood? Probably, uh, I guess there may be things like procedures with lost balls and stuff and whatnot. That's been simplified a lot with three-minute searches and stuff. You know, you see, I see juniors. Like, here, give you another example as far as intent goes. I'll, I'll maybe be on my car to cross the fairway. I see a youngster over there. They're looking for a ball in the bush, and it's, the time might be up. And the kid goes over to his bag, and he's in plain view of everybody. And he grabs the ball, and he throws it down. Well, I go scooting over there, and I say, son, what are you doing here? Or young lady, whatever. It could be a girl. What are you doing? He says, well, I lost, couldn't find my ball. I'm just going to play one from here. I say, well, no. Did you hit a provisional? No. I said, well, we're going back to the tee then. Well, my dad does this, you know, kind of thing. So, right, right. Uh, you know, they, they, they don't. I mean, but that, he broke a rule. But he just didn't know the rule. So there's a teaching moment for me and a learning moment for the kid. And they, oh, okay, I, I didn't know that. And away we go. And it's all good, you know. Now, if I was officiating at the McKenzie Tour event, the pro event, something like that, or even at the Alberta Amateur, and I see a 23-year-old that's just come, got a college scholarship in the States and he plays college golf down south, and he comes back and he does that, <laughs> well... Well, now yeah. we've got a different kettle of fish. Do you see what I mean? So it, it's all right. 
it's a it's it's a tough game. There's lots of you know there's not that many rules, but there's lots of interpretations, and it isn't always black and white. You know, sometimes there's some gray, and yeah, I think that official could have done maybe a perhaps a better job in interviewing the people around and getting all the information that he needed from a variety of sources and stuff. It isn't. You know, he maybe could have directly gone over and interviewed that marshal, that lady, and find out what she really did see or didn't see, you know. Right. There's so many things. I wasn't there. You weren't there. It's happening in real time right in front of us. Could it have been handled better by everybody? I don't think there's any question. All right. And what what's going on with the McLennan Ross uh, Jr. Tour? I mean, obviously, that you know, that's yeah. exciting. I know, you know, COVID has thrown everything for a loop, but tell me a little bit about that. Well, we're ready, pretty much ready to go again. We've got, I think, close to 25 events on the tour. We're waiting for two or three clubs to finalize their dates, depending on uh, whether they're going to have events with COVID this year and whatnot. But we've got a full slate of around 25 events all over the province with uh, the interest in junior golf this past summer went through the roof. You know, as you know, the, the whole industry had a tremendous boost from COVID for hate to say it that we had to have a pandemic to get some interest in golf again but lots of kids are out there playing golf and parents bringing them to the golf courses and just courses generally the whole industry had a shot in the arm last year pardon the pun but uh we're ready to go the first start tournament starts in early june in lethbridge and a couple more in june and then july and august it gets crazy but uh looking forward to a 26th year well, right on. That's that's great, Dunk. Thanks for doing this. Uh, you're now officially the inside uh, sports golf rules <laughs> analyst. So we may call on you again whenever somebody does something a little shady. Thanks for checking in, man. Like like I tell the kids, uh, Reed, rulings are a dollar. Favorable rulings are five dollars. <laughs> there we go. We'll keep that in mind. That is okay. Dunk Mills, a referee with the Alberta Golf Association. Really good outline there of uh, what happened with Patrick Reed and what should have happened uh i find stuff like that fascinating i mean as you guys know i like golf a lot even though i'm terrible at it and it is a self-policed game a self-refereed game for the most part and uh you know patrick reed if you watch the video he kind of starts just doing things before he even calls the official over and that's another reason why a lot of people didn't like it 780-496-0063 if you want to chime in tonight back after the break inside sports on chet all right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Got a text message here from Tracy who says, uh, Hello, Reed. I'm hoping you can settle something for me. I know you have Kelly Rudy on weekly. Do the team broadcasters stay at their home arenas to broadcast the road games or do some of them travel? My husband is a Flames fan and he insists they do. I disagreed with him, but of course this is normal for us. I'm an Oilers fan. In fact, we are fans of rival teams in every sport we watch. It's a wonder we lasted 25 years, LOL. That is from Tracy. Okay, well, I could finally something I, I know, somebody that I can answer. Uh, yes, the regional broadcasters. So, for example, Kelly Rudy, who is on the Flames broadcasts in Edmonton, we have our own Jack Michaels doing the regional television with Louis DeBrusque as the analyst. They are not traveling with the teams. So, when Jack and Louis call an Oilers game on television, they are calling it off monitors from Rogers place on the radio side, whether it's Cam and Bob or Jack and Bob, if they are calling a road game, they are calling it off monitors from the 6:30 Ched studio. 
Uh, at least in Canada, the only broadcasters that are traveling are some of the national broadcasters for national games. For example, Chris Cuthbert was at Rogers Place on Saturday for the game between the Oilers and the Leafs. And he will actually go to the arenas. Harner Ryan Singh has done some games, Oilers games nationally. He has been at the arenas. He's come up from his home in Calgary. So, but the, the regional people are calling the games of the team they cover from that team's home rink, even when they're on the road. So Tracy, hopefully that clarifies that for you. And I believe from the way you asked that, that you are correct. And your husband is incorrect. If that helps. 7804960063. Speaking of the Calgary Flames, they have just scored a goal. And they have pulled even with Winnipeg almost seven minutes into the third period. The Bruins have beaten the Capitals 5-3. The Lightning have knocked off the Predators 5-2. Rangers win at home 3-1 against the Penguins. The Canadians, a 6-2 win over the Canucks. Jeff Petrie having a great season. He scored twice. He's up to four goals on the season. Tyler Toffoli got his seventh. Uh, Gallagher got his fourth. Lekkonen scored shorthanded. Suzuki also scored. Gaudette and Beagle had the goals for the uh, Vancouver Canucks. All right. Hopefully that helped uh, help Tracy. Yeah, it's uh, it's obviously pretty. It's very. It's it's different for the media people. Uh, as as I'm sure you guys know, if you listen to the show regularly, I've been doing inside sports at home since the second week of April. Uh, I am hosting. Oilers road games from home. So the face-off show and overtime open line I'm doing in the exact same spot I'm doing right now. Rob Brown is at his house. When the Oilers play at home, we're at the rink. We have to follow the procedures uh, very carefully or well, or we'd get in trouble and we'd be kicked out quite frankly. So if we're not on, you can take your mask off to do your job or to eat. And I do often, uh, you know, eat a sandwich or two during the game. But I am I am at my own table in the loge area in Rogers Place, and there's a big piece of plexiglass in front of me. So if I'm speaking with my mask off, I'm not spitting anything down to the loge level below me where, you know, Cam and Bob or Jack and Bob might be in that general vicinity. Uh, there's nothing, I, I don't have any glass to the side of me, but nobody else can join me at the table. Troy Bowler, our engineer, is at an adjacent table you know, probably 10 or 12 feet away, Rob Brown's in the other direction, 10 or 12 uh, feet away. So th- those are some of the things that are different for broadcasters. We're, we're pretty well accommodated, quite frankly, but, you know, things are are obviously a little different for, for a lot of people. But since Tracy asked, I will outline that for you. But yeah, so for, so for tomorrow, what's a, so for tomorrow, uh, what are we going to have? Jack's going to be on television with Louie. So they're going to be at Roger's place. Cam and Bob on 630 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network they'll be at Rogers place next Monday and Tuesday. For example, when the Oilers are playing in Ottawa, Jack and Bob will do the play by play at Rogers place for an Oilers game in Ottawa. And Cam and uh, Cam and Bob will be at six 30 Chet Tracy. That's all how that breaks down. It appears you've, you've won this round against your husband. So there you go. Seven, eight, zero, four, nine, six, zero, zero, six, three is how you can call or text. Okay. Well, so the Oilers notes today, if you missed it, 
Alex Chason placed on waivers. We'll see if he gets claimed. Keep an eye on the transactions tomorrow. Possible that Evan Bouchard could be activated and make his season debut for the Oilers. A lot of people want to see him on the back end. Maybe they go with 11 forwards and 7D. Mike Smith still on long-term injured reserve, but a full participant in the practice today, which only featured uh, 12 skaters, 11 skaters after James Deal left the ice. But Mike Smith uh, hoping to close in on a return here in the next couple of weeks and allow for a few more breaks for Miko Koskinen, who I expect to be back in between the pipes tomorrow. You can get the game, of course, starting with the face-off show at 6. The game is at 8. We're going to be joined by former Senators defenseman Chris Phillips and Edmonton Oilers legend Paul Coffey also scheduled to join us tomorrow night. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of the show. You heard from Dunk Mills, AJ Jakubik, Morley Scott, comments from Jamie Elizondo, Dave Tippett, Tyson Berry as well. Angie Quinnell, your studio producer this evening. My name's Reed. Have a great night. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.